It's Cardboard Time, episode number 65, and I'm your host, Arwen Kathke. On today's episode, reviews of Diced Veggies, Mango Cabana, and Dawn of Ulos. And with me to do that is my very special guest. She is the community and social media manager of Resonem Games, a great friend, and an absolute gem of a human being. Olivia Lothary is joining me today. Olivia, welcome to the show. Thank you. I feel like I need to do a little clap. That was sweet. <laughs> well, I mean it. I really do. It's This is something that we talked about doing at Origins. Yeah. And of course, it was a convention. So obviously, we didn't have time to actually do that. But uh, we're here now. And we're yeah. here chatting. And I'm absolutely thrilled to have you. I mean, we had high hopes of playing a lot of games during the convention and could not even find time for that. So, you know, it was a good time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We yeah. we had so much fun there. Um, why don't you give the listeners a little brief intro about yourself? Yeah, so I'm Olivia. Um, I work with Resonim, who is a small indie publisher um, out of... Um, I want to say New Hampshire, man, I should get that right. We're a small indie publisher. Uh, we create really fun games. Most recently we've done um, Glitch Glod, Retrograde and Phantom Inc., which is just wonderful to play. Love, love. I love, I know, love, love, love. Um, also just like my vibes. Uh, it's, you know, spooky Ouija board theme. Love it. Um, and then I, um, so I do the community and social media management there. And then um, outside of that, just a huge part of the community, uh, really involved in, in what everybody's been doing um, and trying to keep up kind of being new working professionally in the industry. So it's been very exciting. Well, it's so awesome to have you here and getting back to Phantom Inc., I looked at Resonim's website today, kind of doing some research, and I found that there's instructions to actually make one of those giant Phantom Ink boards that you have at conventions. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I have, you can't see it, but I have one printed off uh, that I bring, I bring to friends and I bring to like, you know, friend cons that we do and everything because it's, it's so, the the tactile experience of getting to like write on the erasable board and writing really, really big. It's just, it hits different. It's, it's amazing. And Allie goes, when are we getting one of those? Yep. When are we printing one of these off? Because we need it before our next event. Yeah. I love that. We've, yeah, we've just got that link on the website. So if anybody wants to do it, absolutely. You just need the uh, game for like the cards and everything. And then yeah, have fun. I highly recommend it. Do it yesterday. Yes. <laughs> so let's get into the Shelf of Shame updates. Uh, we had Americon this past weekend, and the Shelf of Shame is down by eight. It is down to 156. Love that. Uh, yeah, I was I was amazed. We got through a ton of games. Um, and I might give a couple of tips uh, that got me there. Uh, at the end of this, just to to kind of give people that might be running one of those home or friend conventions a, a few tips on getting things to the table. The games I acquired were six. Um, I got Dawn, which is a review copy. It's a very, very interesting uh, kind of hidden role game where you decide what your role is midway through the game. 
I'm like sorry, what? Yeah. You're evolving depending on your actions to determine what role you're going to have at the end of the game when everything is resolved. Ooh, ooh, I'm so excited. I like this. I, but I love I love hidden role games. I love I you know, we played a bunch at Origins and I sorry, I love hidden role games. I do. I do too. I mean, <laughs> I am I mean, you're uh, a queen at it, so I've I've gotten better at them. I'm <laughs> still not super great, but you know, I've gotten better. Uh Donavulos came in uh along with Shake That City. Those are both Kickstarter arrivals. And then I also purchased uh, Turing Machine, Power Plants, and Night of the Ninja. After we played that at Origins, I yeah. had to pick it up. I <laughs> yeah, mean, absolutely. come on. <laughs> I think it was like $12, and then it was a 25% discount on top of that. So I'm not going to pass that up. so cheap. I love that. Also, it's making me realize we played three hidden role games at Origins. So yeah. Yeah. We need more. Let's just make that a thing. Just hidden role con. Yeah. <laughs> oh. I'm pretty sure that they have that somewhere. I just need to find I it. I would go to that. I would absolutely go to that. I'd lose a lot of friends from it or like make friends and then immediately lose them. Cause you know, hidden role, it's, it's tough sometimes, but like, I just love, I love it. There's things that happen. There's, yeah. there's alliances that are made that, you know, <laughs> are based on deception, which is horrible. And then you feel awful afterwards yeah. and just want to make sure that that person's okay. Not <laughs> yep. that we, the two of us have experience with that whatsoever. No, the no, yeah. not at all. Yeah. Honestly, I walked away from your deception just impressed. Like, I, I don't know. I, I feel very good about being able to catch like people lying to me and I nothing like you were not I don't know I just I'm still shocked by it all and like I now want to like pick apart it further and be like how 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 can we lie together let's be bad guys together yes yes (laughs) I would love that I would love that we need to make that happen at some point yeah uh the shelf of shame games that got played were 12 12 games off the shelf of shame it was amazing uh, Shake That City, uh, Trap Words, which I really like. I, I do want to talk about that at some point. Fiction, which is kind of like Wordle with lying. And oh. yeah, it's it's very, very fascinating. I uh, like that one quite a bit. Uh, Miller's Zoo, uh, Avalon the Big Box. I had never played a single game of Avalon. It's Resistance. <laughs> But different. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yep. It's still it's still interesting enough that I'll play it, but yep, it is. Yep. It's it's literally the same thing. Uh Tribes of the Wind. Uh, I got that out. A beautiful game. I do have some things to say about it. Uh Dawn of Ulos, we will be talking about on this episode. Dubious. A very interesting uh, hidden role game as well. Uh, Not your typical standard fodder. Uh, That one is more you have a role and you're trying to explain it, but not like super well. So almost Dixit style where you want to get people to guess your stuff, but not super well so that everybody gets it. And it's kind of the, the points are very, very reminiscent of Dixit. Very interesting. I need to look that one up now, too. 
Kapow is a dice builder like Badler. Uh, I got that to the table. Uh, Santa Monica was the last game that we played. Uh, and then Rolling Heights and Gosu X, uh, I also got to the table, not at the convention, but uh, later on after that. And two games I played uh, that were from other people's collections, uh, Stockpile, Wavelength, and Skull King, um, all from other people's collections, and uh, had a good time with all three of those, so they may be making their way into my collection. Wavelength is one that I can, if I know I'm going to hang out with people who do not game, that is the one game I will bring, and I'm like, you're. I promise you, it the conversations that happen at the table are just genius from that game. I love it. They really are. Uh, we, we talked about uh, the ability to create Oreos and is it infinite <laughs> Oreos or is it non-infinite Oreos? And I believe that it's infinite, but there were yeah. people at the table that were like, Oh, it's finite. And I'm like, no, it's no. not. I don't want to live in a Oreos. world where Oreos are finite. <laughs> yeah, Exactly. We had pistachio Oreos, we had fruit punch Oreos, mm-hmm. we had Sour Patch Kids Oreos, we had, it's infinite at this point. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, that was uh, that was kind of the convention. Uh, a lot of games came to the table, a lot of really good stuff. Uh, some really good times with friends. We had, I think, 20 four or 25 different people attend as well throughout the three days, uh, just moving in and out of the house. Uh, some great food. Um, I thought, you know, I, <laughs> I made a lot of it, but, uh, at the same time, uh, I was very pleased with the, uh, pulled pork that I made, uh, yeah. on that Monday and, um, the burgers and hot dogs I made as well, uh, turned out really great. So I was very happy with that. The one thing that I will say in running your own home convention, if you are looking to get some of these games to the table and you really want to get something out, set it aside, uh, learn the rules, or at least have an idea of the rules that you can talk to people and say, this is what this is about. I'd really like to play this. This is a playtime. You know, is this something that you'd be interested in? And don't be afraid to kind of schedule that block of time where you say, okay, if you're going to get here at 10 a.m., let's get this out first or let's get this out once everybody leaves and we'll play this either first or last. Um, Some of those things really helped with getting some of these games to the table, including uh, Tribes of the Wind. I got to play a second time uh, because we had people come over early and we wound up uh, cranking through that pretty easily after we had played it the night before. It's always hard with those like at home conventions. Cause you know, you, you can get a lot of people there. And of course it's always ho- We're always hobbyists that are coming to these things. And so mm-hmm. it's, and you've got folks that are coming with their pile of shame that they're <laughs> like, no, I really want to, I really want to play this. But then there's like 10 other ones of us that are like, no, but, we also have these games. So I do think it's a really good point to say, like, maybe each person on the list, just like, I am going to be teaching this game at this time, and whoever wants to learn it, um, it just helps kind of get through that. And like, also make everybody feel like they were able to uh, do like a one thing that they really wanted to do that whole time. So yeah, it's great. 
Yeah, uh, Craig wanted to get Watergate out, and that was his goal oh, the entire yeah. con. And that was something that I wanted to play as well. Uh, I didn't even mention that on other people's games. It, that was another one that was fantastic. Um, we got to play that twice between the two of us, and he came over early. He said, I'll come over, I'll bring this, and we'll get this played. I said, killer, let's do it. Let, let's get this played. Let's get this out. Um, and stockpile was the same way. It was very much, I would love to get this out at some point during the convention. And I think getting people those opportunities, like you said, to get those things out is really important in hosting and saying, Hey, you know, if you, if you want to get something out, let's get something of yours out. We got something of mine out. What else do you have? Also, how fitting that your 4th of July... (laughs) esque con and you played watergate i love that watergate i love that perfect on theme Mm -hmm. (laughs) as as we mull over the state of the country you know i thought that was that was kind of fitting um (laughs) that is one thing um this was the last year of the convention being called americon love Uh, that we started it in 2017 i felt very differently at that time Mm -hmm. Um, things were different at that time. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> yeah, just just a little bit. Um, and we're gonna we're gonna change it. We're gonna make it, you know, more welcoming and yeah. and kind of more reflective of, you know, the attendees and who we are and you know yeah. that kind of thing. Um, you know, focus more on friends. Focus more on just the celebration of getting everybody together. I had a similar discussion this year after, you know, being invited to a couple of, of get togethers for that weekend. And I was like, I, can we retheme this? Can we like, I know we've all got an extra day off, but like, let, let's retheme this one. Let's put a new skin on it, retire this <laughs> and mm-hmm. do something different. Yep. 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 This doesn't fit anymore. So yeah. let's, <laughs> let's just get rid of this and, and go with something different. And I think Love there's it. no shame in that, you know, yep. we grow and we evolve as people. And, uh, you know, as we get new information, sometimes we have to adapt and change. Yeah. Great. So I've got three reviews up on the docket today. I know the first two are ones, especially the first one is one that you really want to talk about. (laughs) The first one that I've got is Diced Veggies. This is from 2023. Uh, Two to four players, 30 to 45 minutes, designed by Josh Jory and Rowan Capel. The art is by Claire Lynn and published by KTBG or Kids Table Board Games. Something delicious is cooking up in the kitchen and as a talented chef, it's up to you to carefully carve up the right ingredients and turn them into culinary masterpieces. Prepare a wide variety of recipes from around the world and hype them up in order to earn extra praise. In Dice Veggies, you take turns with a cleaver, slicing ingredient dice away from the shared chopping block and assigning them to the recipes you're working on. This unique resource gathering mechanism is the key to your scrumptious success. The particular veggies that your recipes require isn't your only consideration. You can take only a limited amount of pips, which is 10 with each chop, and the right dice values can unlock all sorts of drool-worthy hypes to boost a recipe's score. A clever cleaver is all that you need to whip up delicious recipes in this dice-slicing game for up to four chefs. Uh, 
So this was a review copy of this game. Uh, thanks to KTBG for providing it, uh, just being transparent. Uh, this game was designed by nine-year-olds. And I think that's what ah, hit wild. for us the most. Like, <laughs> that, it's so wild um, that this, at least the concept. Um, yeah. Obviously, you have development that happens yeah. after, um, you know, by adults. But for this game to play this well... Um, I think it is really, really cool. And for them to come up with this concept. Yeah, this, I, uh, I, it, it wasn't even like my, it, it was your, um, copy that you got for review. And like, I, I had no reason to love it as much as I did. I was like, oh, it genius. It's, and the fact that nine-year-olds made it, I, I am not over this. Like it, it gave me a little confidence to be like, should I make a game? Can I do this? Mm-hmm. Is this something that I want to do? But like, I've never seen anything like it. It was, it's really kind of a, a genius design. Um, and I think just the the concept of taking that cleaver and just chopping away a section of the dice, it just works. It's satisfying. It's so um, satisfying. And it's so easy to teach as well. Um, you learned I, it very quickly and taught the table. Um, I mean, it feels like it was like under 15 minutes. And that was your first time picking up the rule book and like getting a chance to look at it. And it was like, oh, yeah, this makes sense. And for me as a player, very easily, like after, you know, a couple go throughs, realized kind of a strategy that I wanted to take, but then ending it with there are other strategies that I could be taking for a kid's for <laughs> for this kid's game. Mm-hmm. I mean, like. It, there's so much depth to it. Yeah, it, it really impressed me. Uh, the the other thing that really impressed very well on me was color vision. Um, yeah. I looked at those dice and I'm like, I don't know if this is going to be an issue or not. I always kind of go into that a little bit skeptical. Like, it, is this going to be something that I am going to have trouble with? And absolutely not. I mean, I was I was absolutely fine. I will say, you know, not everybody is like me with color vision. There's different, you know, color vision deficiencies. So your mileage may vary on that. But I thought that they did a really good job at trying to differentiate all the different colors of dice. Yeah. And the dice, uh, the colors matched certain cards and everything. Or like, um, you know, you would see the, the image of the dice on the card. And that matched almost perfectly um, which I thought was a huge help for you. Uh, cause mm-hmm. I was worried. It's not like you can use an icon in that instance, because we're talking about a dice. Like you, you know, we, we don't have a way to put an icon on a dice. It really needed to be color matched. Um, and to have that done so well, perfect. I was very impressed with that. Yeah. Um, I was also impressed to see a variety of dishes from the different regions as well. Yep. I know that hit with you. Yeah, like immediately picked up on the fact that we weren't getting um, kind of the typical Western dishes. You were there was just a huge variety and also brought up conversations at the table of, oh, how do we pronounce this? Like, you know, looking that up and everything, which I love when a game allows you um, to kind of be part of something either outside of your culture, or outside of what you have normally interacted with. And then be able to get you to think harder of like, again, how do I pronounce this or 
whose dish would this be? Like, I wonder what region this would have been from. Oh, it's exciting. Yeah, we we had several of those little side conversations. I remember the one that came up for me was paella. And the yeah. first time that I had that, I, I remember back to uh, visiting Santiago, Chile, and they had it. And I was kind of going back and reliving that. And they brought it out in this huge container. And uh, it took like 35 to 40 minutes for them to cook, but it was prep <laughs> yeah. fresh and, um, you know, that kind of stuff. And, and that's kind of neat stuff to me, you know, which isn't going to happen at every table, but I did feel that it was a very nice touch. Yeah. It genuinely was just like overall great experience. And it was also very fun resetting the dice. So uh, <laughs> midway midway through, we won't talk about specifics when it comes <laughs> to that, but um, midway through the game, uh, you know, you're basically chopping these dice. They have different colors. If you run out of a certain color, uh, you can reset the dice. So you take whatever is left in that block and you take everything that's been used you re-roll it, you have this giant, like, two handfuls of dice, and you throw it into a frame, and, you know, it's it's just so satisfying. It's a little thing, but to me, was was kind of a fun part of the yeah. game, like, oh, I get to reset these. And it's not punishing either, which is something that I really appreciated about this game, because sometimes it's like, oh, if you want to reset this you know, that's your turn. That's it. Mm -hmm. uh, but no resetting was just a free action that you got to do on top of what, what you normally do. Um, and it was very exciting to, to roll the dice, get them in that little frame and then kind of shake it all out um, to get into that like square rectangular shape to then cut with this little cardboard cleaver. Oh, it's satisfying. Yeah, I, I love that. And it was almost up to the person if you really wanted to get mean and nasty. It was almost yeah. up to the other person in front of you to kind of, you know, give you that ability to still have that color, Yeah, um, which I thought was also very interesting. If you really wanted to be mean, you might have to take a suboptimal turn, which I thought, you know, that does work extremely well. And whether coincidence or not, I I really enjoyed that. Uh, the chef's tokens, I thought, also added a really nice dimension to this uh, because you have these hype cards that you're trying to fulfill that have uh, very much more specific conditions. So a uh, certain type of number that you're trying to get or, um, you know, give up an extra die uh, before you cook the recipe in order to uh, score like all the different tomatoes or whatever. Uh, that's on the recipe card and the ability to use not only use the chef's token to change a color or change a number was very helpful, but to also time it in such a way that you know that things are getting low on the chopping block and you are going to get that chef's token back at the end of that reset, um, I thought worked really well, too. And now it's it's like another thing of you can play very, very nice if you, right? Like if I was playing this with my nieces and nephews, we wouldn't be thinking about those things. But on the flip side, playing with my hobbyist friends who are going to want to think that out and think the strategy out, there is a way to do that. And it, mm -hmm. I think the the beauty of being able to have those two things work so well without changing any mechanic of the game is 
I don't, it's just so great. It's so much fun. Uh, and then a couple more things. Uh, the small form factor definitely helps. It's yeah. going to be bigger than what you can fit inside of a standard purse. Um, but if you have a backpack or a large bag, it's going to fit fine. Um, also, the ability to switch up your recipes. If you have something that the stuff on the board just isn't coming up for the recipes that you have, you can kind of figure out, okay, well, what can I take and then grab a different recipe, swap that out. And it wasn't too punishing, which, yeah. again, was very much appreciated. Uh, and then finally, the ability to scale things. And I think this is one of KTBG's biggest strengths. Yes. Uh, we've seen it with a lot of their games. We've seen it with Creature Comforts, Maple Valley that's coming up. Um, and then this... Um, you know, every game that I play, including Power Plants, which is down on my table, ready yeah. to get played, and I've been watching how to play videos, and I've been excited about that. Um, everything's scalable. Everything, you can take rules, and you can customize them so that you can involve your family. Uh, you can bring that up with uh, kids getting older, or, you know, as people learn that are in your group that may not play games, but they get more experience, then you can start adding those things in, which I really love. Yeah. As someone who's trying to constantly get people to play board games, I think it's <laughs> so, so <real>. necessary. Yeah. <laughs> so very real. Absolutely. So uh, my final thoughts on this one um, you know, you and Maddie have not stopped talking about this. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. Maddie said that this was the game that he is going to go. If anything he gets yeah. at Gen Con, yeah. this is going to be it. And we played a few rounds during AmeriCon with friends. Everybody loved it. Um, you know, and, and I think that's a, a telltale sign of a good game. It hit with me as soon as I played it. Um and multiple people have asked me, you know, where can I pick it up? And I said, you can't get it till Gen Con. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, they're like, well, how do you have it? I'm like, I yeah. got a review copy. What? <laughs> it's like, they gave you a review copy. Yeah. I know. Yeah. I know. Thank you. I, <laughs> yeah. Thank you, KTBG, for that. I really appreciate it. Keep yes. giving her things. There, there's a lot of people that appreciated that. <laughs> right? It's, yeah, yeah. It was same with, with Maddie. I do, uh, I'm not going to have a ton of time on the floor um, at Gen Con, but I think I'm going to have to give him money to go get me a copy uh, because, I mean, that's going to be a hit at my table. Yeah, I'm hoping that people don't overlook this and say, well, it's too simple. It's just a simple little dice game. Uh, I really enjoyed this. And, and I think, um, you know, it's going to be a good opener transition game uh, between your heavier games if you're in that space. Mm -hmm. Or if you're in more of the family space or the lighter space, you know, this could definitely hit the table quite a bit. Um, again, very easy to teach and uh, scalable as well for uh, the kids to grow. Um, definitely sticking around in my collection and, and getting quite a few more plays because it's so easy to get out. Uh, any final thoughts on this one, Olivia? I mean, final thoughts are same. I I overlooked KTBG for a little bit, just like, oh, their games are beautiful, but like it's it's got family in the name. Yeah, so I'm sure like that's, yeah, it's kids. It's not for me. And I'm thinking like I, it was at Origins. So I was like, I've got so much time. I'm just going to have them go through, through their game line with me. And I was 
shocked and I felt so silly that I had slept on them for as long as that I did. And then when we played that game, I was like, no, I need, like, I need this. I am a worker placement lover. Like I'm a Uwe Rosenberg lover, but like this kit, like it hits all of my needs while still being pretty quick and I can get it to the table easily. So, yeah. And I kept telling you, you need to pick up creature comforts. Yes. So badly. Just saying. So that was Diced Veggies. And (laughs) I want to move on to another game that uh, you got to play as well. Uh, This was Mango Cabana from 2023. Uh, This is coming up on Kickstarter very soon. Two to six players, 20 to 30 minutes, designed by Gary Chavez. The art is by Gary Chavez and Patrick Gomez, who I found out also did artwork for Stonewall Uprising. Uh, and published by GCRS Games and Valor Mountain Games. Uh, In the fast card game Mango Cabana, players compete to schedule the best acts at their nightclubs. Score points for placing the act on the best nights, specialize in comedy, drama, or magic acts. Host divas, but watch out as having too many might cost you points. Players draft cards in order to play the best acts in their club, select cards with a minimum of rules, and assess the game state. Schedule six performers each. Whoever has the best combination of talent scheduled while avoiding penalties wins. To be the coolest nightclub in town, you have to get the hottest acts. Welcome to Mango Cabana, the fruity nightclub game. Uh, So this was also a review copy of the game, uh, and it is a prototype version. Uh, Things can change from uh, what we saw, and they will change. Uh, There were a couple of updates that we had suggested uh, that are already going to be in the game. Uh, But Olivia, why don't you kind of give your thoughts first, and I'm going to follow up, because I'm interested to see what you thought of this. I the funny thing is, is you had mentioned uh, what same artist from Stonewall Uprising because now that you mention it, I'm like, oh, why didn't I see that? Like there are, mm-hmm. um, I don't know. There's a stylistic choice that like I could see. It's uh, very graphic, yeah, just like very poppy graphic. Um, I thought it was <laughs> so much fun. Another game that is super quick. Artwork is just absolutely wild. I'm in love with it. Like, it's just something that I feel like I could get to the table very, very easily. And again, it works pretty fast. But the decisions that I was making towards the end were just very like, okay, if I I maybe don't want to get points for this, but I could get points for this one, like, which choice do I make? Or maybe taking one might um, cause this person not to get points. I don't know. It was a lot to think about. There was a lot going on with this game and there is there is a lot, you know, like you said, on the back end. Um, I think towards the front end, you were very much more aware of, OK, you know, I've got to get some stuff in my club and load it up and try to prevent my opponents from kind of loading theirs up. It was very easy to prevent your opponents from getting what they needed. Uh, through the hate draft, yeah. <laughs> essentially <laughs> the hate draft. Yeah, it was it was very real in this game uh, because you have six cards that are out, but you can only there's only three slots for them. Yeah. So you take one of the slots, you take one of the cards from the slot, and the other one gets discarded. So you know there's 
the ability to do that is kind of unique in a way um, that I haven't seen a lot of other games do in, in its drafting mechanism. Yeah, drafting can be tough for me because I have a lot of analysis paralysis friends, but there weren't so many decisions that you are going to get stuck in that loop for too long, which I really appreciated. Yeah, and and going back to the artwork, we kept trying to figure out how to describe <laughs> this fruit. I, don't, I still, I still am just like, I don't know. Is there, is there a I, way that I can describe what I was looking at? I think sultry is probably the best word for it. And I can't remember who made that one up, but it was very sultry. We tried using Mm -hmm. sexy. We tried, you know, using very evocative, you know, like um, that kind of language. And it, it just, it didn't hit as much as sultry does. Yeah. The fruit, the fruit was definitely flirting with me is what I felt Mm -hmm. in the end, but not like it wasn't going too far. It was just enough that I was like, Oh, yeah, I do like, want you to play in my club. Yeah, it's like, come see my show. I'll yeah. perform for you. <laughs> I guess. I guess. I guess. Um, I had different experiences with this one in different settings, and I feel like it does play better casually uh, than at a serious game night table. This is going to be one that you want to get out with your friends, you know, you're having a couple of, you know, drinks or some snacks or whatever with your friends. You're not too concerned about what's on the table. It's not going to be a huge strategic game, um, you know, that that you're going to want to be super intense. I think the closer that you are to kind of being okay with that decision space of, I'm going to let this go around the table. I'm going to chat with my friends. And then when it gets to me, I'm going to pick this up. I'm going to make the decision. And then I'm going to go back to chatting with my friends. Yeah. It works great in that environment. Um, I think if you're super focused on the game and you're just going to want to overanalyze everything, that's where people might have a a couple of issues with it. And I did notice that um, on one of my playthroughs um, at at a heavier game table. I guess I would say. Yeah, it definitely, I mean, when we played it, it was later in the evening, you know, just sitting around a very small table and just being like, do we want to play a game? And yeah, let's play this one. Um, And I felt like it lended that very well to the vibes. Like we just wanted to sit there, be able to chit chat in between. I think some turns took a little bit longer because we got busy Mm -hmm. chatting, but you could still get back into the game and not, you know, forget where you had left it off or anything. Um, So I think it worked well in that. Yeah, it it works fantastic in that setting. The symbology was also good. Um, There were no color vision issues whatsoever. You know, everything was very clear as far as that goes. Two issues I had with that. The first one immediately is going to be addressed. The player mat, everything was super tight. Yeah. You know, as far as placement goes, and you saw that too, where you're you're stacking your cards up from one day to the next, and they're kind of overlapping, and you can't necessarily read them that well. Uh, that will be fixed. Uh, the other thing that I think needs a little bit of clarification is some of the text. Um, this is something that hopefully will be addressed in the final version, but some of the text that leads up to, you know, have one performer here or... Um, 
you know, have two on this day, you know, some of those edge cases where we were kind of told, well, it's two or more. And if it's that case, then that needs to be specified. Um, Hopefully that text is going to be corrected as this goes to a final print. Uh, Again, this was a prototype copy. So love that. Uh, Any final thoughts on this one that you didn't get out? It was goofy. I just think it was one of those games where uh, I do, I did think to myself afterwards, like I might not, I might've walked by a booth where this was at and I might not have stopped. And I am so glad that, that you had pulled it out that night because game mechanics are super fun. Again, super easy to just like get to a table, play a quick game of it. Um, Absolutely. I loved it. Yeah. And, and I think that's a great point. You know, this is this is a game that I definitely would have passed by in mm-hmm. a shop, um, especially with the the crazy like '90s CGI infomercial <laughs> yeah. fruit. Um, but somehow it works. It just works. It, mm-hmm. and I'm happy that it's there. Um, the Kickstarter is going to have foil versions. I got to see a sneak preview of, and I'm like, this, this is wild. Like, I, you know, and I want them to lean into it, right? Like when you've got, when you've got art like that, absolutely lean into it as hard as you can, because then I am there, like, it'll be talked about at the table, right? Like it will be, did you see, I don't know. I can't remember the names of them, but like Sheila, Sheila, the peach or something. It's just fun to have those conversations. Yeah. And, and that is one thing that is going to definitely come out of this game is who's (laughs) your favorite fruit? You know, which one did you like the artwork on the best? You know, people (laughs) showing each other like, oh, look at this one. Um, That we had plenty of at the table. And and I think that that it definitely works. It it gives that neon nightclub kind of vibe. And I do think that the art is very evocative of that. Absolutely. Um, So again, for final thoughts, um, you know, if, if you're having fun with friends, if you're not taking things too seriously, uh, this is going to be one that you can get out. You can have a little bit of strategy, but you can also have your conversation at the same time. I think it works very well for that space. Um, you know, maybe not for your more hardcore gaming sessions, but uh, if you're just looking for something to, to kind of take out at a, a bar or pub uh, game night, this could be one for you. That's Mango yeah. Cabana. And then the last game that I want to talk about uh, in the review section is Dawn of Ulos. Uh, This is another 2023 release, so a lot of new stuff to talk about. Uh, This is one to five players, 60 to 90 minutes, designed by Jason Lentz, art by Diego Sa, and published by Thunderworks Games. For untold eons, the mortal races have lived in separate planes, unaware of other worlds beyond their own. But now the dragon god Azema forges a new world by opening rifts to other planes. Dawn of Ulos is an economic tile-laying game for one to five players set in the world of role-player and cartographers. You compete in a game among gods of the planarverse, wagering on and manipulating the rise and fall of mortals. Control the fate of Ulos, develop a new world, invest in your favorite factions, and pit armies against each other. Choose wisely when to exert your influence. As factions rise and fall, will you earn the most favor with the world creator? 
so this one for me was a Kickstarter. Uh, this was very much a Thunderworks. I'm going to back this and ask questions yeah. later. Kind <laughs> yep, <of game>. yep. <laughs> you know how it'd be. Yeah. Um, I didn't really know what to expect. I expected like area control. I expected, you know, the kind of seeing the miniatures, the, the dudes on the map kind of thing. Um, Wait, is there miniatures in this game? There are miniatures oh. in this game. Um, you should look it up. It's pretty I'm cool. I'm looking it up right now. I'm, li- I'm, we are talking. I mean, you keep going. I am going to be looking this up <laughs> as you speak. Um, but this is not at all what I was expecting. Um, this really, for me, uh, is most akin to a game called Acquire. Uh, it's a classic game. Uh, I believe Hasbro had the most recent rights, Avalon Hill. Um, you know, and, and it's just a classic, like, stock trading game, building buildings and trying to build up your empire type deal. Um, and... This has mortal factions kind of taking the place of corporations from that game. Uh, so that's the best way that I can describe it and kind of compare and, and uh, you know, do that. Uh, oh, There's tiles. There's, there's uh, sorry. There's I tiles. Love, yeah. I love tile, tile placement <laughs> and miniatures. Yep. And it's not, it's not that much money. Oh, Tell me more. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, so it is tile laying. You're you're basically laying these tiles out. Um, you have these factions that you essentially get stock in, um, and you're laying these tiles out. As you lay these tiles out, if you lay one in that faction's preferred uh, territory type, they get stronger. Um, <sighs> so the stock goes up. And the stock price goes up. It It's a wild, wild concept. I can't believe that they took like an economic game and put it in this theme. It, it's just so incredibly wild. Um, so this, again, it's a stock holding and trading game. Um, you give up stock. You can get a special action uh, that can get incredibly powerful towards the end of the game. Uh, because it's based on the power of the factions. So if you have a stock that's worth a lot of money, its action can be extremely powerful and you can do it like over and over again multiple times. Uh, Olivia is going wild here. This is absolutely wild to me. Like looking, I don't know, if you were like me and pulled up the Kickstarter at the moment Arwood started talking about this, I'm thinking to myself, that's that you're talking about a different game. We're not talking about the same game absolutely wild and the turn structure is incredibly simple on your turn you take you play a tile out of your hand you take an action whether it's buy a card or playing a card for its action uh which is also your stock so you do get money back but you also get that action um and then draw a tile back up and then it's the next person's turn until there's a conflict and I, go ahead. I just, I'm just like, what? How? She's going wild, folks. How did they how did they make this? How did they think of this? Do you know how you just like sometimes you are uh demoing demoing a game and it is being described to you and you're just like, I don't like what brain space was the designer mm-hmm. in that thought like this is it? These are the mechanics. Cause like I 
my brain could have never put this together. This is so fun. Yeah, I I never would have put this together. Uh, the minis. Yeah. we're Let's get to the minis. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't sure at first. I'm like, this is a Euro game, you know, like area control <laughs> kind of thing. Again, you know, misconceptions. I'm like, this is a bit of overkill, you know, for what this game is. But it really does help with the gameplay flow. Um, I will probably have mine painted. I yeah. I know somebody. Um, yeah. You know. <laughs> but the beautiful thing about these miniatures is the fact that it's incredibly easy to see at a glance what the faction's preferred terrain types are from <gasps> the minis. Yes. Because on either side of them is their preferred terrain type. And it's just genius design that at a moment's glance, it's like, okay, this is what this faction wants and is going to increase their power. And now correct me if I'm wrong, but I zoomed in on one of these minis, but one of the minis looks both like Fen and Mask, which I have not seen, I think, in any game before. Um, it seems to be one with like a, a mountain and something else, but... It seems like there's just good representation all around for it. Yeah, it's yeah. it's very it's very diverse as far as, you know, who's in the game. Um, you know, there's 10 different races uh, that you only pick five of at the beginning of the game. Um, where this game is really shining is the conflict. So what happens... Um, and basically, you know, to go back to the uh, acquire analogy, you have these two different factions or two different corporations in acquire that kind of come together and they are trying to share the same space, which we all know from Time Cop isn't possible. Yeah. Um, <laughs> shout out to all the 90s kids. Um, this one's but, for us. Yes, yes, exactly. That was your reference. <laughs> um, so instead of the larger company immediately taking control over the smaller company once its territory has become yeah. connected, you have an influence about how that battle goes. So there's basically a battle. And you can go and negotiate with the other players on giving up some of your stock to increase the power of a faction. What? So you're playing your stock out. And again, it's stock that you would have had that you will not have anymore. Uh, you have to give half of the stuff that uh, pertains to the two factions fighting. You have to give that back. But it increases their strength in the battle so that that stock may go way up, especially if you have like a lot of shares. It is so incredible. On top of that, you can bluff with other no! factions that you hold and you don't lose any of them at the end oh! of the battle. So okay. your hand size okay. can look okay. like I'm going all in. I've got a ton of stock in these guys and I'm just going to steamroll you. Um, during negotiation, you don't have to adhere to what you say that you're going to do. So, you know, there's there's that like little hidden information, like you can turn your back on a potential uh, negotiation partner. I loved how they did this. It was an incredibly clever mechanic. Um, this this one hit 
so different. <laughs> yeah. We're, we were just sitting around the table. We were like, what is this? Like, like, first of all, this game isn't what I thought it was at first. And now you're going to add, you know, this in uh, on top of it. it. It was wild. I absolutely loved it. I'm like feverishly searching if uh, if they're going to be at Gen Con. And I also need to search if I can buy this because like you you hit. I just <laughs> who thought of this game? Right. Who, right. Who thought of this? And also I needed it and I didn't know I needed it. Well, Jason Lentz thought of this game, apparently. God. Um, but Thunderworks, uh, you know. I mean, it hits. Yeah, they they have a tendency to hit. Yeah. Um, a couple other things. The adaptation of the board state is really going to be the key of this game. Uh, you can't just necessarily pick one faction. You kind of have to manipulate the board state. You know, you may have to bring two factions together intentionally that you hold stock in both. And then kind of, you know, battle them out to increase the strength in one so that you can take on another one that, you know, you have no stock value in whatsoever. Uh, it It's just, it's mind-blowing. And it took me a while to kind of get my head around, okay, how am I going to win this? Uh, which eventually I did. Um, Congratulations. But, thank you. <laughs> yeah. I, w- I was happy with it. Um But essentially, we brought these two lower level factions together, including one who had been strong, was completely wiped off the board, but they can come back. And I was trying to march this territory back over to them because I had a ton of stock left over for them that was junk. Oh, my God. So I needed to bring that back up. So I just marched this other faction over and got all the rest of the players to basically go in and say, yeah, I'll, I'll help out. Sure enough, I mean, it just boosted <laughs> my score so much because they get all this land and all this strength. Um, it's, it's wild. Color vision in this game is great. Um, the great. tile design is fantastic. Uh, there's the, the texture of, you know, the graphics on the tiles is very, very evocative of what that terrain type is. So I thought that they did a really nice job with that. Uh, fantastic replayability. Like I said, you only use five factions at a time, so you can mix, you can match, you can try to, you know, come up with a different combination. Uh, every game there's rift tiles, uh, that you go next to, that you pick up, that give you like one-time little abilities. Um, and this is not going to be a game for those who don't like conflict because yeah. there's manipulation, there's yeah. conflict, um, there's betrayal potentially. <laughs> um, you know, it's, but depending on how nasty you want that conflict to get is dependent on what sets that you add in. So, yeah. You know, if you don't want a super conflict heavy game, you kind of keep those sets out. If you really want it crazy, you add the more conflict driven sets in. Um, it, it's it's incredible. Really, really good game. Yeah. Um, For yeah. anybody who is wondering, it is on sale currently. So you can get it on the website like I am looking at right now. Okay, thanks. 
you can also get metal coins, which I yeah, there's metal coins. I saw the metal there, coins, and I'm like, I gotta, coins. oh, I've gotta, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta hold back. But oh my god, yeah, it's so fabulous. good. Yeah, um, this is one that you know, if you're gonna be at Gen Con, I would highly recommend yeah. uh, either trying to book a game or uh, you know, at least stopping by the table and seeing it, you know, for yourself. Um, I'm sure that they are going to have copies there. Um, but I'm also sure that they're probably going to wind up selling out of yeah, this. That checks out. Because <laughs> as it as it gets into the hands of backers, people are gonna start talking about this. It was only a 7-4 on BGG. Um, but you know, some of the BGG takes is were its really own thing, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it is. It is definitely a thing. Um, but yeah, I've I've been thinking about this one ever since I played it at Americon. Um, I do need to go back and play a choir. Um, it, this may take its place because after seeing this, like it just takes a choir to another level that I really love. And I don't think that I need something that's as dry as a choir. This is much easier to get out. You know, when I talk to people about, okay, either I can get this game about warring factions and controlling them and, you know, getting them to, you know, kind of do our bidding, or we can play a game about, uh, you know, people building buildings and stocks and stuff. What are you going to choose? Yeah, give me yeah. fantasy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I know it's kind of overplayed at, at this point, but at the you know, same time, I still want it. I still love it. <laughs> I still love it. Yeah. Um, but this is this is definitely a much more approachable theme. This one is absolutely staying in my collection. Like I said, I think I'm going to get the minis painted um, just because I enjoyed this so much. Yeah. yeah. So wonderful. Uh, and I couldn't wait to talk about this much like dice veggies. It was one that, you know, it, it was either this episode or the, uh, next episode before Gen Con that it was going to get talked about. And I picked this episode. Yeah. So, so that was Dawn of Ulos and coming up, we'll sit down and have a further chat with Olivia. So stay tuned. Welcome back. And on this segment of the show, we'll be talking more in depth with Olivia. So Olivia, we're going to start off and ask, what does your day as a community and social media manager at Resonim kind of typically look like? A day for me is a bit chaotic. Um, I mean, first and foremost, checking in on all of our socials, our Discord, and like Board Game Geek, um, you know, subscribing to everything, every game that we've got and every thread that pops up. Um, that's the first thing I do. Mostly just like making sure I'm checking in on our community, making them a priority. That's usually what my go-to is. Um, and right now we're getting ready for a Kickstarter. So a lot of my time is going towards communication with creators that we're working with, um, planning and creating social media posts, uh, while also getting ready for a launch in like a manner of different ways. I mean, there's a lot that goes into it. It's pure chaos, which is leading straight into Gen Con, which is like double chaos. Um, God, and we're like three weeks away from Gen Con. So it's, yeah, it's a lot. I'm doing a lot right now. <laughs> That's wild. Like yeah. it, it's it's amazing to think that Gen Con's only three weeks away. Um, I'm yeah, sad I can't, that I'm not gonna like, be there. I said it and my heart stopped a little. I was like, oh my god, Arwen's <laughs> not gonna be there. 
okay. We're going to see each other soon. <laughs> yes. Yes, yeah. absolutely. We're, we're <laughs> planning on that. Yeah. So Resonim does operate a little bit differently than other companies. Like you said, it's, it's yeah. a smaller company, which allows it to kind of operate in its own mode and a little bit different style than most. Do you mind telling us a little bit more about the philosophy of the company? Yeah. So we are a women, a woman led publisher, um, by the wonderful Dr. Mary Flanagan, um, who is, um, a professor um, over at Dartmouth and does a lot of like game design. I think it started off more in like um, video games and kind of shifted into board game. Um, it's really amazing. Uh, she's published a few different books as well um, about board gaming. Her most recent one, um, it was Playing Oppression, The Legacy of Conquest and Empire in Colonialist Board Games, which was excellent. Um, so we put a lot of thought into socially conscious games and like, we're always contracting artists that are women for all of our games. Um, so the most recent collaboration has been with Ashita Banerjee, who created the most beautiful modern cubist artwork for our newest one that's coming out on Kickstarter called Avant Card. Um, and all of our games have like a different style. So it was a really fun journey trying to find someone who's like currently doing cubist style artwork. Um, you know, like trying to find someone who does that and also wanted to work with us on this game and like have her art be represented on a game, which was, I don't know, it's just wild. It's very fun to me to think of us just like reaching out to artists and being like, so do you like board games? And <laughs> would you like to be, would you like to do all the art for our board game? Um, so it's kind of fun. Um, but yeah, Resonim makes games to connect fa family and friends and like gamers and non-gamer audiences uh, with really like the commitment to inclusivity. Um, I don't remember if you've heard it before, uh, but our first game that we published, and I say we, but like I wasn't around when it was published because that was a while ago, uh, but it was called Monarch. Um, it's a light strategy game where you play as a princess who is an heir to the throne. Um, and I believe when Mary um, first attempted to get this published uh, before she even started Resonim, um, she had reached out to a company um, who wanted her to change it from um, princesses to princes. And she was like, you know what? I'm going to self-publish. I got this. And it's absolutely amazing to me that like, this is a story that we have, like this happens. This is the reality. Um, and to kind of see her come into her own and like create this company off of that. And then like commit to, you know, what she wants to see in the gaming world is it's really exciting to be part of. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things when I had my meeting uh, with Resonim, I think it was at PAX U last year, yeah. or it might have been uh, at Gen Con. Um, it, it really did strike me as a company that does things a little bit differently and in a really good way. And I love companies, you know, we've talked about you know, Weird Giraffe is always my example, yeah. you know, with Carla, and she just makes the things that she wants to make. Yep. And I think it's very, very similar. And I love seeing more of that in the industry because it's very needed. Yeah, it is very intentional design um, with the games that that she's put out. And sh right. So she's the public, like, 
it's woman-led. She's the one that that created this, but also she's designing the games that that we're putting out there. Um, her and Max Seedman, um, who is co-designer, uh, they both put out very intentional games, um, and also just like trying to um, create a game in which you are um, thinking about some of these social issues without it um, really forefront of it right like it's not in your face it's not something um that you really pick up on until you're playing it and you have those aha moments of oh yeah these are all princesses and i am used to seeing games about princes and kings um so it's it's absolutely refreshing yeah i i love to see it and i think it's one of the reasons why we do what we do in the industry so it it fits in very very well um, so tell us a little bit more about Avant Card, uh, now that you're talking about it. Um, you know, I'm interested to learn more. I've seen the box design, which yep. was very, very interesting, caught my eye. Uh, but tell us about the gameplay and and all the fun stuff. Yeah, I love this game. And like kind of watching the iterations change um throughout the time that that they really first uh came up with this because i i came into uh the company um maybe halfway through through all of the design stuff so so we've really seen it change um but in avant-garde players have essentially the opportunity to showcase their impeccable taste and curatorial skills as they build their collection of avant-garde art. Um, So it's a small box deck builder where you're playing your cards kind of Uno style, either matching the number before the last card played or the color. Um, But with all of that, you get certain powers that come from patrons who want to see your exhibition do well. Um, So through your exhibition, which is the hand of cards that you're playing each round, you get money to buy more cards. And then from that, you earn awards. um, And the awards are how you're going to score points at the end, Um, which is another, I mean, we talked about something not being punishing. The thing that I like about this game is, you know, typically in deck builders like Dominion or Clank, you get the point cards and you put them into your deck. Uh, With Avant Card, you're not putting them into your deck. You are not penalized for getting um, an award early or anything like that. Um, And then also on top of that, if you are a little bit behind, um, there is catch-up mechanics in it in which, you know, will give you extra money to buy another card. Um, So it's just overall, it's very fast, but so thinky with all of those patrons. Um, The main box comes with the New Yorkers. Um, Those are your patrons that you're trying to get you to help out with your exhibition. Um, Yeah, it's just, it's really lovely. It's a lot of fun. Um, And it's for one to five players uh, coming to Kickstarter on July 17th, which is very, very soon. (laughs) Um, Super soon. It's super soon. It's happening right now. It's going to be going through Gen Con. So if you are at Gen Con, you can stop by our booth. Uh, We're going to be at the Family Fun Pavilion, uh, which is kind of like a little section um, on the floor um, where like, I forget who shows up in that area, but we're in there and I'm really excited. And we're going to have avant-carte. So if you want to play it, if you want to demo it, come check us out at Gen Con. Another reason I'm sad that I'm not going to be at Gen Con. (laughs) I'm so sorry. I I also, so we, the funny thing though is if you are not physically coming to Gen Con, we have it on screen top. 
Um, so when the Kickstarter, yeah, when the Kickstarter comes out, we're going to have the link for everybody. I am a huge, um, I'm a huge pusher for try it before you buy it, right? Like Mm -hmm. go play it online. You and I can play it. I can teach you. And then you can actually play it before you decide if this is the game for you. Because like, right. We, I'm fully aware that not every game is going to work for everybody. Like I want you to enjoy it. I really want you to enjoy it. And exactly. the cubist, the cubist artwork in this is just stunning. It's beautiful. Really ties into another game that we had, uh, surrealist dinner party, where we had a surrealist artwork, way different mechanics, but like still within that art theme. I'm an art history nerd. Also, used to be a photographer, so it's deep to my heart. I will uh, also resonate with that uh i i love um all the art and all the theming from resonant because it it's always spot on it's always very well integrated um i i always really love that um with resonant's games uh also using screen top as opposed to tts thank you so much yeah absolutely no tts for me at least i mean i'm not gonna speak on behalf of anybody else but yeah no none of that yeah yeah, we we have talked about that multiple yeah. times on the show. Yep. Um, <laughs> yep, so, you all know. <laughs> so that is uh, coming up very soon on Kickstarter, and I believe that's going to land uh, 2024 very early yeah, backers. So, yep, so we're hoping to get it um, early 2024 to backers, and then once it's done with backers, get it out to retail and everything. And it's going to be, I mean, like, I don't want to say cheap, but it's $20. It's $20 for the game. Yeah. Um, so it's not, we're not trying to break the bank or anything. It's got some really unique, um, components in it. There's, um, a rollout box, which I've never seen done before. Mm-hmm. Um, and that comes with the retail edition. So your starter decks are going to have this little box that unrolls onto the table very quick for setup and takedown. Um, I, yeah, it's going to be fun. Check out the Kickstarter. You can see all of the components that we've got. Um, I'm excited to share it. I love that. Well, now that we've got the business taken care yeah. of, so let's get into you a little bit more. We we don't often talk about the miniature space on here. Every once in a while, Jamie comes on and, and we talk to her about it, but it is a very major part of your interest in the hobby. Yeah. How did you ever get started in, in miniatures? I think about this all of the time. It I had another friend um, who is also a woman in gaming and we both were like teetering around it. Like, Oh, I'll paint miniatures for D and D, but like, I don't know about miniatures games and like some games like blood rage has miniatures in it. So it was like, well, I want to paint those. I want to paint my scythe minis and everything. Um, And it was like going to the store and just like peering behind (laughs) a shelf at like, Warhammer and all these other like skirmish games of being like, can I, how do I get into that? How, how does one, how does a femme presenting person get into this? Cause I don't know. Um, and then watch it played had um, Monique from before you play and Paula Deming on. Um, and they were doing the two of them were doing a how to play. Um, I wasn't sure if it was Warhammer or age of Sigmar. Um, and it was the first time that I saw women 
actually showing me how to play what's been typically dominated in, in with men, with men. Like, I mean, it's this space that I had carved felt carved out for men. Um, so seeing that I remember immediately texting my friend and being like, look, if they can do it, we can do it. I like, I will buy the book. I'll figure out how to learn it. I struggle sometimes, but like, we're going to do this. Um, and then from there immediately just like fell in love with a ton of different games and, um, Felt really good finally having kind of a reason to paint some minis and not just like painting these random miniatures for no reason. <laughs> well, and and I think that that gets into, you know, a, a discussion that we've had multiple times on this show, and I'm sure that we'll, we'll have that in a minute. Um, but that is highlighting the importance of representation in the industry. I see somebody that is doing this so I can do it too. Yep. Yep. And like rarely do we think like it it doesn't matter how big or small your platform is. Yep. Having any representation is going to get someone out there is going to be like, I can do it too. I can do this now. And I had somebody stop me at origins (laughs) and say, I listen to your podcast and you being visible helped me get into the industry and, and being, you know, myself and being comfortable. And, you know, thank you for that. And, you know, I just talk about board games every two weeks. Like, that's yeah. how I look at it. And, <laughs> I look at it, yeah. you know, somebody listening actually took the time to come up and say, hey, you know, this this meant a lot to me. And, you know... It, it, it's really amazing what a, a small amount of visibility like that yeah. can mean to somebody. And, you know, that's why it's so important. That's why it's, it's so incredibly important. And it's hard to get that through somebody's head until they hear a story like that. And they yes. say, Oh, okay. Yeah. I can, I can get that, I guess. Yeah. I mean, like the fear was real for me, you know, again, going to gaming stores and seeing men in the miniature sections and not women and or going and seeing their tables laid up for a Warhammer night or like a Magic the Gathering night. And it, you know, being mostly men out there, um, it can be very intimidating. Uh, But at a certain point, I just hit it like maybe someone needs to see me in it, too. Maybe someone you know, it would be helpful to see me representing something. Um, and for whatever reason, I was like, I'm going deep into this. Yeah. Yeah. And, yep. and that's, what's so amazing yeah. about being in the hobby and, and being a visible presence um, because you never know what that's going to mean to somebody. Yeah. So. I feel like Jamie has said this to me many times where it is, uh, you know, I think, I think I often say like, I am a nobody. I, you know, <laughs> I I am just out there trying to uplift others and everything. And I am regularly reminded that um, sometimes some of the stories that I've shared um, or incidents that have happened have hit with people and resonated with people in a way that I don't expect. Um, And if I can, even in the smallest way that I can help that it's incredibly important for me. So, yeah. And I think uh, a really good resource if people do want to go and, you know, see some of these stories uh, you were on OFPG Voices. I think it was yes. episode number 33, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, I was. Yeah. 
Um, and that's a great, great episode to go see, you know, I love them to begin with. I know. I, mean, I, I Nick and Sarla do such great work. And I, I was like, she's on. She's on. <laughs> I, it's, Starla had reached out to me. And I was like, I, oh, sure. Like, I'll, you know, I, I'll come on. But like, I don't know. And then walked away from that conversation in tears. Just because it was like somebody putting on a warm blanket. It was just somebody saying like, we want to uplift your voice when it would spend the opposite for so long where I'm just like, no, I'm, yeah. I'm here to make sure everybody else hears you guys. Like I am, that's what, so it was very, it was very wild to be on the other side of it and have someone say like, no, what happened uh, was important, but yeah, go check out that video. It was um, amazing to talk to Starla. Yeah. I absolutely highly recommend that. Um, so kind of getting into that, um, focusing more on the positive changes yeah. that you've seen in the hobby since you've gotten into it, you know, and this can be in miniatures, this can be in board gaming. What positive changes have you seen since you've gotten in? Yeah, I feel like I see more women at conventions now. Um, and when you're looking for women at every convention you go to and every event that you attend, you notice those things. Like it seems mm -hmm. weird to say, you know, I'm seeing more women. Like the first Gen Con I went to, I think it was like, I don't know, 10 years ago, maybe not. I can't remember. It's been a while. But the first one I attended, there were not as many women as I see now. Um, and I was looking for them because I remember it was my first convention. My first convention was Gen Con. Uh, and I was like wanting to see where would I fit? Where, you know, like what will I attend next year? What events will I go to next year? So I was looking to see who was there. Um, but we're, I'm seeing so many women now and we're also creating like more safe spaces with each convention I attend, uh, through things like, uh, there's a BIPOC lounge at Gen Con, um, at Origins, uh, there was a small like women in the industry meetup. Um, and then I believe at PAX Unplugged, there's a get together, uh, for those of us in the LGBTQIA plus community, Shout out to Rose Gauntlet, really, and like everybody else pushing for those spaces because I think they've yeah. done. I think they do all three of those. Um, but it's like it's amazing that these spaces exist, and I feel like it's very encouraging for more of us to both like feel like we belong in this space and also feel like we can have a voice creating like a new version of the hobby or like a a a little pocket of the hobby that like shows who we are. Um, that's very important to me. Yeah. And I think we also see maybe more representation within the industry itself and in positions yeah. of yes. actually working within the industry. It's not just men running the company. It's not just, yep. you know, the, the cis straight white man that's mm -hmm. running the company, you know, it, it's so diverse now. And I love to see it um yeah i was talking to um tori brown who did votes for women yep, yep. um sweetheart by the way loved oh, this loved talking to her sweetest human being um and just like letting her know how impressed i am to get into i mean like essentially it has been dubbed uh, not war gaming, but like, I don't, is it historical? I'm not sure what to, to define it, but she is part of a very male dominated side of the hobby. And the fact that she's like, just, 
she's just got a smile on her face. She's like, it's very intimidating. I can do this. And it's like, I want to back you up. I want the, like all of us, everybody who has like genuinely paved the way before her to like really keep showing up for this, because now we've got this. Now we've got this side of gaming that you net, like we're getting an interesting perspective, interesting people in it. uh, All because we're just like opening it up to everybody. Yeah, and I think that's part of our responsibility, much like, you know, the people who have come before us were were trailblazers and paved the way. I think now it's open up more of those spaces, you know, be, you know, uh, constantly moving the needle forward so that that everybody can feel included at the table. Yeah. Except for those who feel like they don't <laughs> yeah. want to include everybody at the table. I was about They're to say, welcome. Like, we do also mean that, but like, you know, yes. Yes. implied. But as long as you're cool with everybody yeah. at the table, we're good. And we're good. So what work still needs to be done in this space? I mean, I, I think <sighs> I know one of your answers. Um, but, you know, I'm interested to hear what, what else we can do. Yeah, I mean, in a perfect world this would be so easy and there wouldn't need to be a ton of work. Um, But there's definitely more work that needs to be done. Um, I think where I land with this is just getting a more inclusive community. Um, Part of how I ended up here with like you today here uh, was I was pushing back on the Reddit community, the Reddit board gaming community during like the second BLM movement, like the second wave um, that we had seen around 2020. And I noticed our community was very quiet and not really vocally standing up for our BIPOC members. And I was really confused because it just felt like we were, I mean, like it was, I don't know, it was in, right? Like everybody was doing it. I don't understand why the bare bare minimum couldn't have been done. Yep. Um, it seemed like a no brainer to me. Um, and I was speaking up about it and was just, I was getting dragged on there and also then getting a couple of threats and was like, okay, so now this does, this community doesn't feel safe. Like, where's the online community? Where can I go? Um, I just want to see the ways that the whole community feels represented and to feel like we're not just all at cis white men's party. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I don't I would like I don't just need to see myself represented. I want to see the whole community and there's so many that feel silenced um or just feel like, you know, there's a lot of gaslighting and pushback. Um so the change that that needs to be done is just finding ways to include everybody and again uplifting those voices so that like we all feel like we're good. And I, I think, you know, again, it kind of falls to us to be responsible, unfortunately. Um, you know, for some of those things, like, you know, if you see somebody being excluded for who they are, yeah. you know, say something, include yep. them, you know, and bring them to the table and say, hey, you know, we're playing over here. You can come join us. Um, that is a skill that I didn't have for the longest time until I transitioned and it's very tough to learn, but once you're excluded from that space and you can include people, you always want to include people, um, because you know how bad it feels to be excluded at that point. Yeah. And I had a story, I mean, again, go watch the OFPG video on it, but I had a similar story, um, where I was excluded, um, 
and spoke about it online in our circles. And a lot, a lot of men had said, you know, thank you for saying this because I don't, don't know if I would have had the confidence, don't know if I would have spoken up. And I think just again, being able to hear people because, you know, not everybody's going to transition and then have to go through, you know, right. all this awfulness to, right. to get to that point. And like, that's why just hearing us say it, hearing us say we have been excluded, hearing any other member of the community for whatever reason being excluded or feeling gaslit or feeling, you know, like they weren't able to participate as wholly as other people have been able to participate. That's super important. Um, just you should be able to hear that and go, okay, this person isn't having a good time. These are the ways that, that I can do better. And then like, hopefully that means a lot more people are going to show up for us. Yeah. Because as a whole, I think we want to grow the industry. We want it to be successful, (laughs) um, you know, so that more people can be in it. Um, so that there's more good ideas, there's more games out there and I can continue to talk about them. You can continue to help, you know, uh, manage the communities and, uh, the socials. And, you know, I, I just, I, I think that's how we grow is just try to make everybody feel included. Absolutely. So do you have any convention stories that you want to (laughs) share? Because we've, we only really met uh, at PAX Unplugged last yeah. year. <laughs> yep. And like we have become fast friends yep. and like shared a hotel room at Origins. Yep. So that's yep. that's how quick this happened. Yeah. Um, any Anything that comes to mind, if, if it's nothing, you don't have to, but. No, I mean, like truly, as we were talking about like what work still needs to be done, I'm thinking I like immediately brought to my mind was um, for origins. Um, I, my birthday was on origins um, and I'm very thankful to have had you all say like, Hey, let's all hang out. Let's all play games. We're going to invite some people. Um, There was a certain point in the night where it was just like, people were coming, trickling in, sitting down at the table, playing games with us. But I had sat up, looked around and realized the majority of people there were either trans or non-binary. And those of us who were cis were queer. And it, it was a moment of just like, how, how did this happen? And it wasn't like we put out a call of like, you know, only if you're trans or non-binary, can you come to my birthday? It just happened. People just felt safe being there and existing as they were. And we were just playing like our identities weren't part of the conversation. They weren't like the reason that we all were there. It just so happened that we all felt safe with one another. And I think, you know, if you're lucky to uh, be able to meet folks the way that I did, where I just showed up one day and you were like, yep, we're friends now. Um, That's what conventions are for, right? Like it's just finding your people Um, and always, 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 um, if you're a listener, come say hi to me, tell me your username. Cause that's usually how I know you, but like, come, come hang out at my table. Like the, this is the point, this is what we're doing. Yeah. And, 
And I think, you know, there's there's a certain amount of radar that goes on. Right. You know, I know. Like, we all, all, like, like, I, we, all, like we all know. Well, we all see each other and we're like, oh, you're safe. You're safe. Yeah, you're I, good. Like, sigh you're of good. relief. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I think you also brought up a really good point in the fact that, you know, we weren't talking about our identities. No. I wasn't talking about being trans at that point. And that's the whole point. I don't want to sit here and constantly yep. beat on the drum and and have to, you know, quote unquote, make this my identity. Yeah, because it's not, you know, <laughs> I yep. maybe board gaming is my identity, but um, there's so many facets to it that, you know, I could be, you know, referred to as the woman who likes to board game, the woman yeah. who likes to host parties, who yep. likes to cook, who likes to do all these things. And that moment was one of those times where I didn't have to think about that. And it's yeah. beautiful. Yeah, it was very, it was a very weirdly emotional moment for me, um, which I think really like looking on it um, and thinking back again to the time that I very first met you where it was just like, I, th- I've never interacted. Like, I don't, what do we, uh, I, how is this going to go? And it felt like home and it felt safe. And those those moments have mostly for me come out of conventions um, because I am just seeking a safe place to game. I am just, literally. I would like, I would literally just like to play a game with people who aren't going to bring in any toxic masculinity. And we are just going to laugh and enjoy ourselves. And like, that was a really good moment. That was just a really fun yeah. moment. Like beer and bread. Oh, beer and bread. That was, yeah. Oh, I haven't been able to get that back to the Neither table. I. It makes Neither me sad. I. Like, I'm, I. And I'm just like, I, do I need to go to Ohio? Like, I don't understand. Yes, you do. Yeah. <laughs> First of all, the yeah. answer is yes. But yeah. um, no, no, I, I think that's a really, really good story. Yeah. Thank you. And now I'm crying, but yeah, no, I know. I'm like, say, I'm like thinking again, thinking about it. I'm just like, and you can't cry. Cause how is that going to translate into a podcast? I need to calm down because you're yeah. going to make Arwen cry and she <sighs> cries to the t- drop of a hat and everything. Yeah. Yeah. Whew. Uh, anyways, uh, hobbies outside of the industry, you know, any, anything yeah. that comes to mind? I know that you just got done with a camping <laughs> trip. Yeah, I'm a granola girly, which is kind of funny because I was thinking today, like, I just got back from a camping trip and I was like, how being an outdoorsy, like camping and hiking kind of person, uh, I it's very hard to then get games to the table during the summer, especially if you're in the Midwest. I guess I should say I'm in the Midwest. It's freezing six months of the year and it's hot six months of the year. So the hot months, like I am desperately trying to get outside, but like equally want games to come with me. Um, What I brought camping this weekend was uh, trailblazers. That was Ryan Courtney's newest one. Yeah. Oh, it's it's it comes. It's got like a little carabiner and like a water shell, uh, and the cards are waterproof. It's like give me, give me the intersection of you know whatever hobby plus board gaming because I love to see that. Um, but yeah, a lot of my hobbies outside of this are being outside, being a little lizard in the sun, and soaking it all in. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. So last two questions uh, I ask of everybody. Uh, the first one is, what is on your table right now? 
Oh, well, I, honestly, it's a lot of avant-garde. I've been I've been playtesting it with like I need to play it with everybody that I know. Essentially, I want to make sure that I get it to my non-gamer friends because we've all got them, and they all we all have to accept who they are yes, and respect that they might not enjoy all the games. So I've been playing with them, and then also like my. I mean, the, uh, on the flip side, my hobby gamers are like Twilight Imperium, um, you know, very heavy. They play Ma- Magic the Gathering and everything. So then trying to like pick their brain and be like, also, what do you enjoy about this game? Um, so it's been a lot of it's been a lot of avant garde. Well, fantastic. And how can people reach you on socials? Yeah, so you can find me um, at Olo Plays, which is O L L O P L A Y S, um, and I'm on Instagram, TikTok. I'm on Blue Sky now, which I keep wanting to refer to as Blue Ski because it kind of <laughs> looks like that. It um, does. It does, right? Yeah. Um, and I am on the burnt remains of Twitter. So, like, if you're on there for however long we still have it, I'm there. Yep. Um, oh, and if you want, you can also play games with me on BGA uh, under the same name. I'm often forgetting to invite people to play games. So if you invite me, most likely I'll say yes. I think that's a thinly veiled reminder that, that I yeah, invite it, it, you it, to a game. <laughs> it was me. It was me also saying like, I'm so sorry. I haven't invited you to a game. I went like from origins. I went to Chicago for a bit and then I went on this camping trip and now I am back into the rhythm of like, Oh, I can invite someone to a game. People like to hang out with me. I'm cool. So like, that's I'll, right. That's right. <laughs> so I'll invite you. I wanted to invite you to play spots, but I was worried that I'd get my butt kicked. I mean, yeah, no, I know it's inevitable. (laughs) I got lucky. I I got really lucky that game. I'm just saying. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if you're looking for uh, Cardboard Time on socials, it is CardboardTime.com. Our Instagram and uh, the burnt remains of Twitter is (laughs) at Cardboard underscore time. We're both wandering the wasteland that is twitter and the dumpster fire of you can only look at so many tweets a day unless you pay for it and there ain't no way (laughs) that's happening uh and then any questions suggestions or ideas for discussion topics please email cardboardtime at gmail.com and olivia it has been an absolute pleasure having you on the show today Uh, you know again long overdue um, for somebody that I've known since you last <laughs> year, months? like, Seven yeah, yeah. It feels <laughs> like we've been friends forever. Yeah. Right? And, and I love that. I, yeah. I love that community. I love the fact that it's like, I've got to get to this next convention cause we got to go yeah. and hang out and do that. And I have to talk to you about a couple of other things too. Well, so. thank you for letting me listen to your voice and hear your voice again because I missed you terribly since Origins, which was like two weeks ago. I don't three weeks ago. I don't know, but I missed yeah. you. So yeah. thank it was you. it was like literally two weeks ago. I know it, it was it was three. It was three. It's too long. It was too long ago. I don't care. Yeah. I mostly said yes to this so that I could chit chat with you. So thank you. Well anytime you want to do that. We don't need <laughs> okay. a podcast to do that. Awesome. Fabulous. <laughs> And as always, thanks again for listening, and we'll see you around the table in two weeks for another episode of Cardboard Time.